today. Uh, too often, we don't stop to count our blessings. Because I know the way that most people are. Not, not all of us. There's, there's some special few who rise above, but, but most of us are way more likely to grumble and complain about what we don't have rather than to be thankful for and to appreciate what we do have. I believe that we've been conditioned for that. We've been conditioned to notice what we don't have rather to enjoy and appreciate what we do have. Many of us are so detached from the things that we do have because we're consumed with what we can get next. Sure, I just bought 50 things off Amazon, but what about this sale? We don't, we get detached. Some are hoarders, but you know what? You can be a hoarder and still be detached from all the stuff you have because you need more stuff. We don't appreciate what we have. And I want that to go well beyond just the stuff that we can feel and, and hold on to and purchase from Amazon. I'm talking about the things that allow us to truly be satisfied, to truly be content, to truly be fulfilled. Because to live a life without being thankful, that is an ugly and dangerous problem. Far too many of us take our blessings for granted. I was reminded of this in a rather unusual way, maybe. Uh, just recently, our, our family re together read the book called A Long Walk to Water. I think several uh, young people have been assigned that in school. It was written in 2010. Short little book. You can read it real quick if you haven't read it before. It's, and it's pretty, it's pretty neat. I want to share with you why I'm bringing that up. In this book, A Long Walk to Water, it's a true story, and it interweaves a couple of stories about two children in war-torn South Sudan, that's in Africa. There's this one girl, her name is Naya, and what the story starts with, and it goes back to again and again with Naya, is she has this water container, and she would walk barefoot from her home to the pond to fetch water, and this wasn't just like you know, going down to the creek for some of us who've got water close to us. She'd leave first thing in the morning with her big water pot. And if things went perfectly, if things went really well, she'd be back at home by noon with a full water pot. But then most likely she'd have to make another trip. This barefoot journey of many, many miles with this one water pot to go get some water, fill it up for the family. That's how she spent her entire day. Well, what'd you today, do today? Well, I went to the water hole twice. That filled up my whole day. That sound like a, a really redeeming and enjoyable life? Well, that was Naya's life because she had to go and get water every single day. She'd balance that heavy water pot on her head for multiple hours to walk home. The other story is of, of a young boy named Salva. And he gets separated from his family due to civil war in Sudan. And he spends the next several years walking all over Africa, from Sudan to Ethiopia to Kenya. He walks hundreds of miles in this time. His perseverance and his strength is incredible. I share these things with you because I want to tell you about the way I felt when we finished the book. We read about Naya doing everything to get water. We read about Salvas walking just hundreds of thousands of miles to connect with family somewhere. When we finished the book, my first emotion was this. I wanted to call up Dorian Flynn and give him every single penny that we had to say, go build some more water, 
wells. Building water wells are so important. Because that was one of the things that happens in this story. A well is built and the people just lose their minds in joy and celebration. So as that book concludes, you just think, I'm too blessed. I need to give everything I have to people with no water. I need to have more water wells built in Africa. I need to help. I need to help. I need to help. Guess what? One month from the day, Dorian Flynn will be here, Lord willing. <laughs> October 2nd, he should be standing in this pulpit, and you will get to, again, relive things that are happening to real people right in real time right now who need your help. They need actual water, and they need the living water of Jesus Christ, and you can help them do that. But the other thing that I felt, the other thing that I thought of as we concluded the book, A Long Walk to Water, I felt like I better understood the biblical history of the children of Israel as they wandered around in the wilderness. On Thursday mornings in our Lady Bible class, we've been studying the parables of Jesus. And we've been reminded about the joy and the value that you and I should find in seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary. That's what Jesus did when he taught these parables. He took ordinary things that everybody knew about he took things that people easily understood and they commonly understood and then he revealed a deep and spiritual truth in that ordinary common thing. I feel like after reading A Long Walk to Water that I, I could picture and, and feel and understand some of the things that Israel went through as they, as they walked through the wilderness. The children of Israel would quickly forget how much God loved them. The children of Israel would quickly forget how many times over and over again throughout the years that God had protected them. But as you see that, you say, but wait a minute, so do I. Israel's not the only one. They're not the only ones who've been blessed by God, but then forget. They're not the only ones protected by God, but then forget. They're not the only ones blessed by God, but then complain. That's not just them. That's, that's me. Israel, what they would do is this. They were released from Egypt. Four centuries worth of slavery in Egypt. Released to head to what we would see would be Mount Sinai. Between Egypt and Sinai, you know what they do? Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 17, they complain about what they don't have. You would have thought that the events that led to their freedom would have inspired lasting gratitude, but it didn't. Then on the other side of Sinai, so Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments, and then they're told to march on to the next place. Between Sinai and the land of Canaan, between the Ten Commandments and going into the Promised Land, you know what they do in that time period? They complain. Complain about what they don't have. Numbers 9, Numbers 10, Numbers 11. You would have thought that the events that took place at Mount Sinai with the the thundering and the lightning and the voice and the giving of the commandments, you'd have thought that what took place at Sinai would have inspired lasting gratitude. But it didn't. And so it reminds us that this isn't just the way those silly children of Israel acted. This is the way you and I act. This is an image. This is a window. This is a mirror of, of who we are. God can bless. God can restore and we have the propensity to complain. Listen to this. What we will see from the passages we'll read here today is we'll understand that we're given insight and an opportunity to consider our own hearts. 
Ask yourself this. Am I thankful for the many different ways that I've been blessed? Am I thankful for the love of God? Is my gratitude displayed easily? Is my gratitude heard? Is my gratitude seen in my actions and heard in my words? What we want to do is learn from Israel's mistakes. We're going to follow Israel through a few places on their wilderness wanderings. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 6, these things, meaning talking about the children of Israel, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, God says in 1 Corinthians 10, let us all learn from the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. That's what we're going to try and do. So here's the first lesson I want us to consider. Many of us need to be reminded to keep going. Many of us need that, that bit of encouragement from someone who knows that they can tell us, look, stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on the Lord. Maybe you don't feel or you don't see God's blessings today. The message of Scripture is keep going. The message of Scripture is keep looking. Maybe life is a struggle today, and maybe that's a huge understatement for me to say life is a struggle today. Well, the message of the Lord is keep going. Keep looking for the blessing. In a long walk to water, one of the things that happened was this. As they had to travel these hundreds of miles across desert land, places where you would go for days without coming across something that could offer you some, some shade or some water. And so there was a time when Salva, you know, the main character there, he begins to fade. And he's stumbling and he's ready to give up. He's ready to lie down and just quit. Because they, they've walked past other people. At one point he said he was coming on a ridge and he saw what he thought were rocks. They got up to it, it was just dead bodies. People who had making the same trek as him and they just had to give up. They just died there in the desert. And he was reaching that point. He was going to be just like those other people he thought were rocks. And his uncle comes to him and he says, look, do you see those bushes up ahead? Just walk to those bushes. Then they get to the bushes. And he says, do you see those rocks up ahead? Just walk to those rocks. And he makes it to those rocks. He says, do you see that next ridge? Just walk to that next ridge. That's all you have to do. And he was able, little by little by little, to get to the next place. He had these little makeable goals that he would just see himself to, to the next one. And so a lesson that he learned was just say, through this time, let me get to this next little spot, this makeable spot. A lesson I learned from my grandfather years and years ago was to ask the Lord for small blessings. Say, Lord, just for today... Lord, bless me and help me today do just this one thing today. Look at Exodus 15. Look at Exodus 15. Because this is a picture of what so often we do. Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. And so forth, they named it Marah, which, which means bitter. 
And the people grumbled, they complained, they griped against Moses saying, well, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. The Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water. And then the water, that bitter water became sweet. And so there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he, there the Lord tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord, your healer. They came to Elam where there was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. God had just defeated Egypt, had just sent those 10 miraculous earth-shattering, mind-blowing plagues. And then even that, if that wasn't enough, then they got to the Red Sea, and here they are, their backs against the Red Sea, the Egyptian army closing in, and he opens up the Red Sea, they walk across on dry land, and he closes it on the Egyptian army. So there's at the very, very least 11 unimaginable, miraculous powers demonstrated by God. And it took them three days to rebel. Read there in Exodus 15. Three days in. Hey, no water. What are you trying to do? We thought you were strong. We thought you loved us. Not fully recognized the human body can really only go about three days without water. Do you not think that the creator of all things knows that as well? And here they are saying, well, so you brought us, brought us out here to kill us? Three days is all it took for them to forget, for them to rebel against them to ignore and complain instead of seeing the provision and the love and the care they started griping instead of keeping on going they threw their hands up and griped you see the proper response now don't misunderstand me i'm not acting like this is easy to do but the proper response is not to worry the proper response is not anger the proper response is not despair the proper response is not indignant um, entitlement the proper response is to patiently and faithfully rely on the Lord the proper response is to wait on the one who has delivered and will deliver that's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1:10. he has delivered me and I know he will deliver me again because that's who God is that's what he does he's a deliverer so instead of grumbling instead of complaining Maybe we should try saying something more like, Lord, we know you deliver. You worked mighty miracles over Egypt. We know you have power over water. You swallow up the army in the Red Sea. And so we know you have the power. We trust you. It's not easy, but it is demanded of the Lord, demanded by the Lord of us. Galatians chapter 6 at verse 9. This is what the Bible says. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 For you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And then Hebrews 12, verse 3, in considering what Jesus has done, the, the heartache, the pain, the humiliation He went through. Hebrews 12.3, the Bible says, Consider Him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. If you'll think about what He went through, here's how it will help us, He says. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31, the Bible makes it plain. It, it tells us about human nature and the divine nature of God. We may grow weary. 
but the Lord doesn't. And so what we're to do is to trust and rely on the one who doesn't get tired, but blesses and blesses and blesses the faithful. So let me say to you, if you are struggling to put one foot in front of the other, keep going. Don't look past the blessings that the Lord has put in front of you. Sometimes they're harder to see than other times. But He's the one who has delivered and will deliver. Israel's response here was to gripe and complain in short order. And this is recorded for us here, not only because it's true, because it's put here for us to recognize this is not the way the Lord wants us to be. Keep going. Stay faithful. Heaven will be worth it. The Lord will see to it. And the Lord will bless in due time. The Bible says in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. That doesn't mean that before you die, you'll be rich and happy. It means if you stay faithful, you'll be rewarded with a crown of glory in heaven. All things work together for those who stay faithful. Keep going. Secondly, the next thing is this. We need to always be actively mindful, looking for, thinking about our blessings. Now, I fully recognize I'm preaching to myself here. This is, this is a me problem. But I only assume that if there's something that I'm struggling with, that there's at least a couple of you that are dealing with a similar issue. I don't stop as often as I should to consider how wonderful God is to me. Not just thinking about His creation in general, but to me specifically, I don't stop often enough. You know, there's the, the old cliches, you know, stop and smell the roses. All the... Well, it's because people recognize you go through life too quickly and don't stop and think about all the wonderful things that are right in front of you. That's me. I am blessed beyond measure. So blessed, in fact, that I often take my blessings for granted. I assume that there's some of you who in, in this room online that you, would, you identify with that. That you're nodding, at least in your heart, nodding, yes, I do the same thing. Let me give you, let's talk about the example of water, since that was the main issue, the main focus in Long Walk to Water. And also, it it's, seems to be one of the main issues that Almighty God uses to create and preserve and restore is water. In the book, they're always, always, always on a search for, on a quest for water and when they find it they celebrate so let's talk about water for a second i read somewhere the average american household uses more than 300 gallons of water every single day we do that without even thinking about it now this is not a conservation plea at all this is just an idea of thinking about how often we use things and don't think about it do you realize you use Hundreds of gallons of water every day? Washing your hands, brushing your teeth, getting a drink, cooking, whatever it might be. I mean, just how many bottles of water do you even have? I got a stash. I'm not hoarding them, but I got a stash in my office. There's some in the, in the kitchen downstairs. Some of you probably have some with you on the, on the aisle, maybe in a purse. Bottles of water are like no big deal. We treat it as if it's just air we breathe. It's so easy to access. It's so easy for us to have. So easy for us to consume. We forget how powerful it is. We forget how valuable it is until it's too late. Because you need to know this, as we're blessed here, 
Not all water is the same. We feel like we can go to any faucet there is, turn it on, drink, cook, do whatever we want, not even think about it. In the Sudan, you drink that water, you may well die without cooking it first because there's so many parasites and other things in it, it will eat you up from the inside. You don't even know it. Not all water is easy to access. Some people have to make these long, arduous, difficult journeys, dangerous walks to get to water. As I said, in the Sudan, when water is discovered, there's a celebration. There's singing and there's clapping and there's laughing. People gather around the place where water is discovered. People wait in long lines to get it. One old man in the story said this, I've been sitting on this ground my whole life. This is one of the places where they dug a well. He says, I've been sitting on this ground my whole life, and all these years I never knew I was sitting on top of this good water. We take it for granted. We're so blessed and we don't stop to think. And then there's, then there's this. Think about the power of water. The Weather Channel shared this just a few weeks ago whenever all that flooding was happening in eastern Kentucky. Listen to this. Listen carefully. Only six inches of water flowing Six inches of water flowing can knock a person right off their feet. Six inches, that seems like nothing. Two feet of flowing water can float a whole vehicle. Water flowing at a mere four miles an hour has enough force to destroy a house. Water is so valuable. Water is so powerful. It seems so abundant to us. It seems just so everywhere, so innocent to us. We need to stop and think about how powerful and valuable water is. Respect it. Be thankful for it. Because just like so many other blessings, we just take it for granted. Again, consider Israel. This time, go to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. Verse 1, beginning of Exodus 17. The congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and they encamped at Rephidium, there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Well, God chose here in this case to use water to demonstrate His presence among the people. Remember they said, is He here or not? What a horrible question for them to even ask. And yet, how many times have we said it? And so God chooses to use water here to demonstrate He is among them. He is their Lord. He is their Father. He is overseeing. He is leading. And He is going to protect them. I want you to consider just super briefly, just very quickly, like one idea here with me. Consider the way that God chose to use water not only as a demonstration of His presence to the children of Israel, but the way He continues to choose to use water to declare His presence and His protection even of the church. 
In John chapter 3 at verse 5, Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. God always, always, always chooses to use water to create something new. Going to Genesis 1, going to Exodus 14, wherever it might be, if He's going to create something new, He uses water to do it. And so when you and I want to be a new creature, when you and I want to be taken from the kingdom of darkness and added to the kingdom of Jesus the Christ, it is through burial in water that we rise up to a brand new existence. Buried with Christ, raised in the power of the resurrection of Christ, God forgives us of our sins and uses the medium of water for that experience. Water is part of God's plan. So let's not ever, ever, ever take it for granted. The kind that we turn on in the faucet thousands of times a week. Or we've been washed in the water, washed in the blood of Jesus the Christ. Let's be mindful of our blessings. Because that brings us to the last thing I want to say. In Numbers 11, this is sort of the key idea of all of it. We'll look at this real quick. Read with me here in Numbers 11, starting at verse 1. The people complained. Now notice a, a theme, a recurring theme. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Now this is the people who have been uh, miraculously led out of bondage. The people who have been miraculously taken care of for decades in the wilderness. Their shoes don't wear out. Their clothing doesn't wear out. There's food. There's shelter. There's all the things you could ever, ever want. They complained in the hearing of the Lord about all their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled. You see, His, his anger is always righteous, meaning it's always in response to something that is unrighteous. In other words, if they'd had the right to be upset, the Lord would have said, ah, oh, let me fix it. Let me right this wrong. But because their complaining was unjustified, it says that his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. The people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and then the fire died down. So the name of that place is called uh, Taborah because of the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Life in Egypt was just so perfect and wonderful. We loved being slaves. That's not what they're saying, right? Revisionist history, it's what always happens. Things are terrible today. Boy, things were perfect before. Verse 6. But now our strength is just dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of delium. The people went about and gathered it and they ground it into hand mills and they beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna just fell with it. Now can you imagine this? They come out and they see this and they say, we got nothing but manna. Really? Here's another way of saying the very same thing. We got nothing but this miracle. <laughs> nothing but a miracle every day. That's exactly what they're saying. They look at a divine, holy, otherworldly miracle and they say, well, nothing but another miracle. Tired of it. Tired of miracles. 
Tired of you helping me every single day. Tired of you feeding me every single day. With how many blessings do you and I do the exact same thing? Because it's not just them. This is not a time for us to look down our noses and point our fingers at how ridiculous they were because this is us. We know. We know the Lord is clear. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. And yet we still complain about how much we don't have. We still take so many blessings for granted. And so what we're called to do is take inventory. Count our blessings instead of taking them for granted. Instead of saying, well, we've got nothing but this manna. Let us remember a few things like this. The next time you're prone to despair and to complain, say, well, you know what? I've got nothing. Nothing but this Savior. Nothing but this Savior who loved me and died for me. As it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the love of God has been demonstrated, not simply to the world, but the love of God has been demonstrated to me that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. My Savior loves me and experienced death so that I don't have to. He offers me life. I've got nothing but, but this Savior who loves me. Or maybe say this, I've got nothing but, but these people who love me. You know, someone loved you enough. The reason you're here in this room this morning, the reason you're watching online this morning, is because somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. Somebody loved you enough to tell you about a Savior. Somebody cared about you enough, whether it was a family member, a parent, a spouse, a neighbor, somebody loved you enough to tell you that there's a Jesus who loved you and died for you. But you know what? Even more than that, Matthew 7, 1 through 5 comes to mind with the beam in the eye and the speck in the eye. Somebody loves you enough to tell you that you're a sinner. Somebody loves you enough